A very good morning to you. If you'd like to grab a seat, grab your jam donut. Okay, I did this last week, but I think it was a bit unfair because I didn't really let you know what I was doing. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask for a show of hands or cheer type things for Krispy Kreme donuts on the one hand and jam donuts on the other. Okay, so you're all prepared. Because last week I think it was a bit of a... I misled you and I didn't let you know what was happening and so we didn't get very much of a cheer. What? Wow, seriously. There's no time time for an indecision here. Um, Right, so, Krispy Kremes. Yeah! That was pathetic. Uh, Jam donuts. Seriously, seriously, the eyes have it. The eyes have it. That's my sermon for this morning, so um, we should just go straight into... <laughs> steady. That's not very kind. We should go straight into ministry time. Um, very good. So, over the past few weeks, we've been looking at the whole subjects of discipleship, following Jesus, discussing things that are important like coffee and jam donuts and such things. And one of the things that we've been saying, what we've basically been saying is that to be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, to be an apprentice of Jesus... It means that we're going to, we're going to, we organize our lives, we rearrange our lives around three primary objectives, three main goals. And those three things, as we've been talking about, is the first is to be with Jesus, the second is to become like Jesus, and the third is to do what Jesus did. So being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing the things that Jesus did. It's really that simple. Uh, so we've been working through these things over the last uh, few weeks. Last week we looked at becoming like Jesus and how it is that we're changed and we're transformed with ever-increasing glory into the image of Jesus. And today we're going to be looking at the third one of these, doing what Jesus did. So you've got a Bible uh, which you need um, along with your donuts when you come uh, to church. Uh, we're going to have a look at Matthew chapter 4. We're literally going to do a bit of a whistle-stop tour through Matthew, so get your page-turning abilities uh, in place. Someone doesn't like that. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 4, uh, verse 18. It says this, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And if you've got an an older translation of the scriptures in front of you, it might say in your version, it might say, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, just to be clear, when Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men, you know, that's not just like some joke. It's not some clever play on words. Fisher of men was actually a first century Hebrew idiom expression of speech and it was referring to a great teacher and so a great rabbi a great teacher would have been called a fisher of men because literally they would um, they would catch the imaginations and the hearts and the minds of the people that they were uh, teaching and so they were called fishers of men and what jesus is basically saying here uh, this is my paraphrase uh, is you know i'm a pretty good teacher uh, and uh, why don't you guys come and follow me and if you come and follow me um become my disciples, become my apprentices, I'll make you pretty good teachers too. 
Which is why the very next verse says in verse 20, at once they left their nets and they followed him. So mid-morning fish, these guys hand in their resignations and then head out to follow Jesus. Verse 21. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. So we get to see exactly the same thing. Verse 23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. Here he is, Jesus as a teacher, Jesus as the rabbi. But also he did this, he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom healed every disease and sickness among the people and then it goes on and says news about him spread all over syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases those suffering severe pain the demon possessed those having seizures and the paralyzed and jesus healed them large crowds from galilee the decapolis jerusalem judea and the region right across the jordan followed In chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up onto a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And then what happens when you're looking at Matthew, uh, this part of Matthew, what happens in chapters 5, 6, and 7 is is we come across what's become known as the Sermon on the Mount, which is basically Jesus' manifesto of how it is that we are to live as disciples, as followers of Jesus, as apprentices of Jesus in this um, brand new reality that Jesus calls the kingdom of God, of life, living life, how to live life in the kingdom of God. And so if we kind of go past the Sermon on the Mount uh, and head uh, to chapter 8 and go down to verse 18, let's see what happens next. We pick up the story. Um, Matthew chapter 8, verse 18 says this. When, the crowd, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. And then a teacher of the law came to him. Now, this is, this is like a full-time professional like teacher of the Old Testament, like kosher. And um, says to Jesus, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus kind of replies and says, you know, really? Are you sure about that? Um, foxes have uh, dens and um, birds have nests. Basically what Jesus is saying is, you know, you really don't want to follow me. I like, well, think about following me because I'm homeless. Um, and Jesus says, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. And then in verse 21, another disciple says to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus says, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. And what you're starting to see here is we've got people who are so eager to follow Jesus. They're so desperate. They they want to become his disciples that they literally hand in their notice and, and, and quit their jobs. They leave their jobs. And then we've got other people, like the ones we've just come across, who are a little bit more reluctant. They're a little bit more uncertain. And so they say things like, well, you know, like actually, when I think about it, my dad's getting on. He's a bit dodgy and doddery. And um, maybe, I should, maybe I shouldn't come and follow you right now. Maybe I should stick around on the farm or wherever and, and help him out. Uh, and maybe I can catch up with you guys later. Then go on to chapter 9, down to verse 9 in chapter 9. As Jesus went out from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in a tax collector's booth. Now, the tax collectors were basically the very, very dregs of first century Jewish society. They were were hated by everybody. Um, Not the Romans, but they were hated by the Jews, certainly. And in Matthew's case, it was worse because um, Matthew was a Jew... And he's working for 
the Romans. He's working for the oppressing, occupying force. And um, Matthew's basically like the first century equivalent of a, of a, of a Jewish informant working uh, in Nazi Germany, working for the Nazis. Uh, so he's despised by everybody. He's actually despised not only by the Jews, but he's also despised by, by the Romans. He's despised by everybody. And clearly, you know, something's gone wrong at some point in his life for him to end up doing what he's doing. Um, But look at what Jesus says to Matthew, like the most despised, very, very dregs of society. Jesus comes up to him and says, Matthew, follow me. He's basically saying, Matthew, you know, the tax collector, loathed and despised by everybody. You're broken and most definitely incredibly corrupt but why don't you come and follow me too? It goes on and says in verse 9, Matthew got up and followed him. And in verse 10, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And in verse 12, it says, on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. And then he quotes from the Old Testament. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So what am I saying here? Well, um, some of the people who are following Jesus are pretty messed up. Uh, They're in need of healing. They don't have their acts sorted. They, They haven't got everything together. But... What we get to see here is that the open invitation of Jesus is there. And that should come as very good news for all of us. You, Matthew, come and let's hang out. And then skip down to the end of the chapter, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. It says this, Jesus went through all the towns and the villages. He taught in their synagogue. He was teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease of sick and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, you know, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. And what's Jesus' solution to this uh, workforce shortage issue? Um, Have a look on to the next chapter, chapter 10, uh, verse 1. Says this, Jesus called his disciples uh, to him. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And so what we see here is Jesus is like going, okay, it's over to you. Now it's your turn. And then in in verse 2, it says, these are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. We met those guys at the beginning. Uh, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and guess who? Matthew. Like Matthew, the tax collector. He made it into the 12. Like, dreggy Matthew, despised, broken, corrupt. He gets into the 12. And so does James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And these 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Don't go, to the, don't go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And right there, in one sentence, we've got it. That's the message. That's 
the mandate. The, the kingdom of heaven has come near. He goes on in verse 8 and says, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. And, and what Jesus is saying there is like, Look, guys, you've been following me around. Since, you know, you started following me when you put down your nets and came and followed me. You, you've been following me. We've been hanging out together for, I don't know, the last six months or nine months or 12 months or however long it is that the guys have been hanging out with Jesus. And Jesus is saying, you've been experiencing the love of the Father. You've, you've seen how this thing works. Guess what? You're up. It's now your turn. Freely you've received. You've experienced all these things. And now it's your turn to freely give. Okay? That's what Jesus is saying. And then very lastly, um, just on this bit, uh, we're on to Matthew chapter 28, uh, verse 18. Then the, uh, 16. Then the, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you even to the very end of the age. So hopefully what we're starting to see here is some kind of pattern forming and emerging through story after story encounter after encounter encounter first we get to see jesus coming onto the scene as this rabbi as this teacher and he's teaching in the synagogues and he's teaching wherever he goes but jesus is also more than a rabbi he's also the messiah and he's come to usher in the kingdom of god and so very early on jesus starts to call to him a whole bunch of ragtail group of disciples and apprentices and and students to follow him. And so he bumps into people like, you know, Peter says, you know, well, hey, what's your name? Like, is that Peter? Great. Like, come and follow me. And then Peter's like, oh, well, it's like Andrew. Like, I don't know what to do with him. And Jesus is like, oh, is he your brother? Okay, well, you know, he can come along as well. Like, the more the merrier. Um, and as apprentices, these guys, as they start to follow Jesus, what it means is that they start to, to they spend time with Jesus. We talked about this in week one when we were being with Jesus. They start to spend time with Jesus. They start to hang out with Jesus. They start to live with Jesus. And they start to live life like Jesus. They start to live in and through the lifestyle of Jesus. They start to see how Jesus does life in the kingdom. And they begin to not only witness the way that Jesus does life, but they start learning how to do life themselves. And so... They, you know, they see Jesus getting up early to pray, so they start to get up early to pray. They see Jesus studying the scriptures, and so they start to study the scriptures. They see Jesus keeping the Sabbath, and so they keep the Sabbath. And they start to adopt, over a period of time, the lifestyle of Jesus. And as a result of adopting that lifestyle of Jesus, they are transformed. And then comes this moment where Jesus says, Okay, do you know what? We've been hanging out for a while, and it's been great, but now I think you're ready. I think you're ready. Peter, um, you see that woman over there? Look, here's the Holy Spirit. Go and heal her. And he's like, oh, sorry. Like, okay. You know, and Peter goes off and says, right. Jesus says, you know, Andy, look, see that, see that guy over there? Like, I don't know if you can see, but like, he's like got lots of friends with him. And when I say friends, I don't mean like friends. I mean like demons. And those demons, like you can just see they're harassing him 
So Andy, he's yours. Off you go. Go and have some fun and cast out all his demons. Uh, Jesus says to James, James, I've got a project for you. Why don't you head off to Chorazin and preach the gospel there? And he says to John, why don't you, John, head down to Bethsaida and do the same thing? Matthew, he says, I've got a job for you up in Tyre. Uh, and, and literally kind of gets all these guys, sort of Alan Sugar-like, but nothing like Alan Sugar, in fact, um, and sends them off. And to do all these projects, you know, like, so maybe some of them went to Bruges and, and, and organized a tour or something like that, I don't know. And, and he sends them all off and says, off you go, 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 see how you get on. And then in a few days later, we'll meet in the boardroom. One of you is going to get fired, but he doesn't say that. <laughs> and so they all go off, you know, and they, they preach the gospel and, you know, and they, they tell everyone that the kingdom of God is close by, because that's like Jesus told me to say, and I've been watching him say it, and the kingdom of God's close by, and they heal the sick and they cast out a few demons. Uh, and then they come back to Jesus and they're sort of there and they're all excited and they're saying, oh, it was like amazing. Like I was amazing. You should have seen me like blasting demons. You know, pow, 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 pow. Now come out, come out, come out. And Jesus is like, yeah, okay, great job, guys. But actually, do you know what? Don't get overexcited about the fact that the demons submit to your name. In fact, what you should be rejoicing about is the fact that your names are written in, the, in heaven. And the disciples kind of go, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, that's true as well. But you should have seen me. I was like, awesome. And then there comes this time, probably like, I don't know how many, probably years into this whole Jesus discipleship school uh, program. But Jesus says, you know what? I think you're ready. Um, You've got what it takes. Now what I want you to do is I want you to go and make disciples. Matthew 28. But don't worry. You know, I'm going to be with you even to the very end of the age. And so you're starting to see this thing about apprenticeship that Jesus is doing. And people have been studying apprenticeship and and, and what it looks like. And it basically centers around four stages or phases. And and the first one is, you know, I'll do it, right? You just watch, okay? Don't touch anything. Just watch. It's like, okay, you stand there and watch. It's like, okay, make notes. And and then the second, second stage of it is like, I do and you help. Okay, but let's not overextend help. You know, so think about Jesus feeding the 5,000. You know, Jesus is doing the stuff, and I don't know, he says to Peter, Peter, hand out the bread, right? Like, that's all you need to do. Don't do anything else. Don't get too involved. Don't mess it up. Just hand out the bread, right? That's all you can, that's, you're good for that right now. And then kind of phase three is this, okay, you're going to do it, and I'll help. And what that basically means is you're going to get and do the stuff, and I'm just going to stand over here, sort of like Karen and what's-his-face, and just observe, right? And if it all goes a bit crazy, I can step in and save you and help you out. Uh, if it gets really complicated or something goes pear-shaped, I'm going to be on hand to help you. But you're going to, you're going to do it. And then phase four is, is basically graduation. It's like you're going to do it, and I'm just going to watch. Um, and it's just that's it. Right? which is basically, you're ready. Go and make disciples, for goodness sake. And it's the exact same model that we see Jesus modeling in one story after another. And what all of this means is that the end goal in following Jesus is that as followers of Jesus, we are to be doing what Jesus did. You know, you're a medic, right? Josh has been like at school and university studying for like 20 years. I don't know how long, right? Probably longer than that, 30 years. He's probably much older than he looks. Just trying to understand something about how to apply a plaster and how useful Savlon is. Um, 
And his goal in that extended and very, very expensive process was, I assume, so that at some point in the future, now terrifyingly our present, he, he can actually be a doctor. He's like, like actually a doctor. It's hard to believe, but it's true. He didn't go off to study for all that time and get A's in every single exam he's ever taken just so that he could know all there is to know about medicine. Like, that's pretty useless. He's actually wanting to become a doctor and now is. If we are followers of Jesus, our primary objective, the whole point of following Jesus is that not overnight, not in a flash, but over a period of time, we will grow into the sort of person who can carry on doing the work and the mission and the ministry and mandate of Jesus. You read through the Gospels, you kind of like, well, what is that exactly? Um, well, one of the things that Jesus did was he taught, but it was much more than teaching. Jesus came to usher in the rule and the reign of the kingdom of God. And if you read through the Gospels, um, carrying on the work of Jesus looks like, amongst other things, these sort of things. Um, you read through the Gospels, you'll see it for yourself. I'm sure you can find other things that illustrate the, the work of Jesus. But the sort of things that Jesus did was that he, um, he preached the gospel. Jesus taught about how it is that we are to do life in this new, with this new framework of the kingdom of God. He taught about how to live life to the fullest in and through the kingdom of God. Um, Jesus healed the sick. Jesus cast out demons. And Jesus spent like an inordinate amount of time eating and drinking with people who were far from God. Jesus spent time doing justice. He was involved in peacemaking. He spent lots of time praying. He was always prophesying. Jesus stood up against religious and political corruption. You know, it's just like a starter for 10 list. And it's not a bad list. And so if we are followers of Jesus... Our end goal is to be doing all of that kind of stuff. You don't have to faint or pass out or kind of start hyperventilating because it's like, oh, I can't do all of that. Um, that's the end goal. You know, it may take a while, it may take some time, but at some point down the line, as we, as followers of Jesus, mature and as we grow, that's the end goal. And here on a Sunday, and in your small groups, and in the ministries that we run as a church, these are all incredibly good places to practice doing the things of Jesus. They are very good environments to practice and learn how to, as Wimber would always say, do the stuff. Small groups are a fantastic place to practice exploring and teaching one another about how it is that we live this thing called life in the new reality of the kingdom of heaven. Um, small groups are a great way to practice healing the sick. Um, small groups, if you're in one of the small groups, many small groups I've been in, small groups are actually a fantastic place to learn how to cast out demons because I don't know if it's just our small groups, but so many of the small groups who run and people come and they're just riddled with the things. Um, Small groups are a great environment whereby you can um, work with your local neighbours and you can start to eat and drink with people who are far from God. You know, okay, I'll do that. Um, small groups are a great place to learn how to pray. Small groups are a great place to learn how to prophesy. 
ministries that we run, things like Job Club and Food Bank, um, getting stuck in and supporting um, our partners in places like India and Nepal and Myanmar and the Kibera and, and, and Kenya. These are great ways for us to start thinking. Job Club, Food Bank, great ways for us to explore what it looks like to preach the gospel and also at the same time to be standing up against corruption and doing um, justice. And on and on it goes. All these places like here on a Sunday and small groups and, and the ministries that we run, they're kind of like a classroom. They're like a laboratory where we get to try this stuff out. You know, it'd be great if we could just say, great, that's it, you know, that's it, done. You know, you're an apprentice of Jesus. It's pretty obvious the goal is that we're supposed to do what Jesus did, you know, so have fun this week. You're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Go for it. Do what Jesus did, you know, on the streets of Putney or New Malden or wherever it is that you find yourself, and we'll kind of see you next week. The problem with all of that is, whilst we understand what it is that Jesus did, and we understand that we're called to do what Jesus did, and in our hearts we're longing to do the sort of things that Jesus did, the challenge for lots of us, certainly for me, is that we live in a very um, difficult cultural context. You know, it may just be me, but, you know, because I'm getting on. Um, but it, it feels to me that doing mission, or whatever it is that you want to call it, feels so much harder now than it did, you know, over a decade ago. Doing mission, doing the stuff, feels to me so much harder than it was when we first joined this church nearly 30 years ago. Hard to believe, I know. Right? Now, that may be because we were young and enthusiastic and blah, blah, blah. Or it may be that things have shifted over that period of time. So much has changed, obviously, in the last 30 years. So much has changed in the last 10 years. You know, we've, we didn't have the internet like 30 years ago. Um, we didn't have phones. Like Now we've got like, um, social media and the iPhone and all kinds of different things. And all those things have been major game changers and so many others in the way in which we understand and engage with doing life in the kingdom and it can be very difficult or it can be very easy actually to forget what things were like sort of back then especially um, understandably if you weren't born you know um we uh, where we are now we, we we we're so busy we're like so overly busy we're so busy that like we don't even experience boredom anymore. Boredom is like a thing of the past. I grew up bored. <laughs> you know, when I say that, like, TV was only on for like a couple of hours a day. Steady. But it's true. Um, and there were only three channels at all. And one of those channels seemed to be on an interminable intermission with only a test card to occupy us. And, and here's a picture of what I grew up watching. This was like, this was, this, what? I know, it's the only one I could find. I knew you were going to be smarty about it. You're so outrageous. Leave that little bit, right? It, it was the only one, it was in colour. I'm not that old. But like, you know, <laughs> we used to sit in front of the TV watching Bubbles, waiting for Bubbles to go so the play school could come on. 
the best thing that was on TV in like 1972 was Crown Court. We got so bored. You know, my mum used to say, you know, the devil makes hands for, you know, the devil makes work for idle hands. And, you know, he had plenty for us to do. We don't get, we, we, we don't, we're not idle anymore. No one's idle anymore. No one's bored anymore. We've got the internet. You know, maybe we should bring back boredom. Over these years, we've, we've definitely moved um, from what back then, you know, even 10 years ago, certainly 30 years ago, might have been called just about, or just about be considered a Christian society. We've moved into what is now most definitely a post-Christian society. And it feels like the society in which we're in is a bit like a rebellious teenager who's kind of angry at their parents, i.e. the previous generation, kind of stuffing it all up. Uh, And so it's reacting against everything that that previous generation has ever said, counseled, thought, practiced. And so we have to recognize that ministry and mission is different. And we're here today just trying to work out how it is that we are going to be like Jesus, how we're going to become like Jesus, how we're going to do what Jesus did in our time and in our cultural context and in this geographical space. I came across this definition of church recently and it said this, a community, a community described as a community of followers of Jesus seeking to rediscover the teachings of Jesus and the practices of the early church and grow them in the soil of a post-Christian world. And I love that the word, is, the, the word seeking is in there because that's what, it, that's what it feels like. It feels like we are seeking to rediscover those things. We are very much a work in progress, just in case... Any of you have been around for like more than five minutes hadn't noticed. It would be lovely if we had some kind of fantastic formula like step one, step two, step three on this is how you do the stuff of the kingdom in the 21st century in London. But, um, we don't have that. We're just trying to work out how we follow Jesus. Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus and doing what Jesus did in the cultural context in which we find ourselves living. And here's uh, just a couple of pointers uh, really that I want to leave you with as to how together we might try to work this whole thing out. And the first is just a reference back to what we talked about last week, which was about uh, one of the things we touched on was intentional spiritual formation. And so let's keep reminding ourselves of intentional spiritual formation. Because as we want to grow into and mature into the kind of person who can join in with the kingdom work of Jesus and the kingdom ministry of Jesus. And if we're going to be the people who grow into doing what Jesus did, it's going to take teaching. You know, we're not going to be able, I'm certainly not going to be able to figure this out all on my own. My brain is far too small. It's going to take teaching. It's also going to take practice. You know, none of us is any good at healing the sick or um, preaching the gospel or casting out demons, like right from the get-go. You know, we don't come to faith and suddenly go, I am now like an expert in deliverance ministry. It doesn't work like that. Like, we kind of have to learn and practice. And it's like, oh, yeah, I see how this works. And so we need to practice. We need to be practicing all the time, honing our skills, learning from people who are a little bit more practiced 
than we are. And we do that here on a Sunday. And we do that in uh, midweek in small groups. And we do it in environments. We start practicing in environments whereby, like in our small groups, people won't stone us if we get it wrong. You know, it's good to learn how to prophesy in your small group without fear that you're going to get stoned as a false prophet. Do you see? That's a good thing, right? If that, happen, if that does happen, if there's any threat of that, do get in touch um, because that's not what we want to see happening in our small groups. Um, teaching, practice, and then community. It's all done in the context of community. It's the community of this the church family, you, us all together working through this. This isn't just like somebody telling everybody how to do it. We, we work it out together. Uh, it's in, done in the context of your, the community of your small group because we should all know by now that we don't stand a chance pressing into any of these things if we're going to try and go it alone. And then on this, this one, above all, it takes the Holy Spirit. It's going to take being filled with and led by and walking in step with the Holy Spirit, who's right there in the midst of it all because he is at the center of all that we do. We have a part to play. He has a part to play. Um, but it's by the Holy Spirit that we do the teaching. It's, it's, it's in and through the Holy Spirit that we practice. It's, it's with the Holy Spirit that we do life together in community and all of it's going to take time this doesn't just happen overnight it's a it's a process it's a long process as we talked about uh, last week so teaching practice community and the holy spirit that's the first thing the second thing is this it's an encouragement for us to start with the basics um if we think about that list of things that Jesus did, you know, like preaching the gospel and healing the sick and casting out demons and doing justice and prophesying and, and, and whatever. And if that list feels a little bit overwhelming, and I can understand that it might or why it would, and perhaps we should be trying to start uh, somewhere really easy, like eat with people who are far from God. Right. Okay. So, like, don't feel like we have to start by tackling corruption at religious and political levels, or don't 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 start like you have to kind of go out from here, like casting out demons left, right, and centre. You can do that if you want, but like, maybe we should be starting somewhere really, really simple and straightforward for most of us, which is eating and drinking with people who are far from God. It was a fundamental, central part of Jesus' ministry. You know, we we look at that and we go, well, that sounds really simple. You know, and it sounds simple probably because it is um, but as I say it's one of the foundation stones of life in the kingdom you know what did Jesus come to do have a look at Luke chapter 19 verse 10 the son of man came to seek and save the lost like, okay agreed Kick. and then how did he do that well in, in Luke chapter 7 verse 34 it says the son of man came eating and drinking we're like yeah I knew I liked Jesus what was Jesus' strategy for reaching the world with the kingdom of God to seek and save that which is lost? Um, well, it sort of, Jesus' strategy was sort of like um, his conversation with, you know, Zacchaeus up the tree. It's like, you know, hey, you, you up the tree. You know, what's your name? It's like, oh, yeah, Zach, that's a, that's a lovely name. Um, uh, Zach, why don't we have dinner sometime? You know, I'm homeless, obviously, so it can't be at my house, right? So um, that's not going to happen. 
But um, rumor has it, this is a paraphrase of the conversation that you read in the Gospels, but effectively, you know, rumor has it, Zacchaeus, that you're actually, you actually spend most of your time oppressing the poor, and so you've got a great big, like, house up in the village, um, which is, like, you live in because you've been oppressing the poor uh, for so long. So um, we're going to get you to sell that at some point, but we don't have to go into that right now. Um, But first, uh, let's go to your house for dinner tonight, and we're going to clear out your fridge, because like, we haven't eaten in ages and we're really hungry, so we're going to clear out your fridge, and there's loads of stuff in your fridge. Um, and um, if you've got some water, I'll take care of the wine. Like, I'll bring the wine, right, Jesus? Um, so, you know, sort it, dinner at your house. Feel free, he says, you know, to bring all of your other poor, oppressing friends and we'll all hang out together and we'll have a chat about whether that's kind of the right way to be. But basically, it'll be like a party. It'll be actually a lot of fun. So that's it. And that sort of is Jesus' strategy. You know, it's not rocket science. When Jesus wasn't in the synagogue, we know with all the synagogue-type guys, Jesus was like, sorry, what's your name? Great. Dinner at your house. I'll be there. He kind of invites himself wherever he could. So how is it that we are to reach this city and our communities and our neighborhoods with Jesus? Well, why don't we start with, ah, so you're my neighbor. Who knew? Oh, I've lived on the street for like 20 years and I still didn't know your name. Like, why don't we actually maybe just befriend some of the people that live around us and then maybe just say, you know, what are you doing on Thursday night? You know, um, I, I, I cook a mean, you know, whatever it is that you make that's mean. Um, and if you can't make anything that's mean, or if what you make that's mean is actually mean, um, get a takeaway. Um, just share a meal with someone who's far from God. At Romans 12, it says, practice hospitality. It's two words. But it's, it's, not a, it's not an invitation, it's not an option, it's a, it's a command. This is what the people of God do. We practice hospitality. You know, what would it be like if we were known across Southwest London, Southwest London for radical hospitality? What if your home, our homes were known as the places whereby people would come together and would gather together to eat and to drink and to celebrate and to be loved for who they are, even if they're like our Matthews. You know, so many people around us find themselves living in London. They don't know anybody. They don't know anyone. And this simple act of eating with people far from God, it can change everything. Eating and drinking, uh, hospitality, and loving our neighbors. It's not a sideline. This is the front and center of the way of Jesus. And it's so ridiculously, beautifully simple and straightforward. And what's great about it is that no matter where we are or no matter how overwhelmed we're feeling by work or by family, pretty much all of us can do this on a regular basis. Just only once a month, we can share a meal with people far from God. Okay, so being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing what Jesus did. Led by the Holy Spirit, we, we learn through teaching. Led by the Holy Spirit, we, we develop and we grow through practice. Led by the Holy Spirit, we, we, we mature and develop in and through the context of community.
we learn how it is that we're to preach the good news, how it is that we're going to heal the sick, how it is that we're going to cast out demons, how it is that we're going to do justice, how it is that we're supposed to make peace, how it is that we're going to prophesy, how it is that we're going to pray. And as we're doing all of those things, how it is that we're going to stand up to religious political corruption or corruption wherever we find it. Just learning how to do what Jesus did as together, as a community and as a church, we demonstrate that the kingdom of heaven has come near. Okay? Nod politely. Why don't you stand?